Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptal, C70 is bat at C70 on Twitter. Usually I've got Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird and A Medlock one on with me, but as regular listeners know, starting last year, Alan took over the um, head coaching job at Tulsa Hell uh, High School there in Tulsa, in which case from now until May, he's a little bit busy. So we fill it as best we can. And the way we do this is by bringing on really good guests because I can't do this. So we brought in to start our season. I think this is the fourth year in a row. Jeff Jones, the Belleville News Democrat. Uh, Jeff, how are you tonight? I'm okay. Uh, you did promise the people good guests, though. So unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to be able to really check those boxes off. But we'll do it. We'll give it our best. I, I think you can. I think this is a, a bar you can clear without too much trouble. Um, yeah, this is like I said. I think this is the fourth year. I, I did. I meant to go back and look. Um, so far, I don't think we've had a normal, completely normal off-season year. Looks like maybe we will this year, but if not, uh, we'll have to reevaluate for next year. I think. Um, but before we get into 2023, uh, let's let's look back at 2022 a little bit. And because when you were on this time last year, of course, we're in the middle of the lockout. We didn't necessarily know when or if baseball was coming, but we really didn't know probably the biggest story that was coming up down the pike. And that was the return of Albert Pujols. What was it like last year covering his return and then the amazing second half that he had? Yeah, you know, that that day uh, in Jupiter when that all happened was a really fascinating day in part uh, because sort of starting that morning, you know, we, we'd had a scrum with Ollie out on the patio there behind the Cardinals clubhouse in Jupiter, uh, where there, there was, there was some, some discussion about what kind of hitter they might need for depth and, and what kind of piece they might add there. Uh, and the winking and nodding started going in a given direction. So that day, you know, that kind of progresses. And this was, this was a Sunday, uh, in fact, and all this broke, which I will never forget because it broke and it, and it broke wide. I want to say within 10 or 15 minutes of the slap at the Oscars, like the Oscars were <laughs> on, it was on my TV. I'm watching it in the Airbnb where I stayed on there uh, as all this is happening. So it was, it was a, uh, it was a busy <laughs> evening. And then of course, you know, you get there the next day. Uh, there's a lot of, we can and can't talk about this, that, and the other thing, you know, the thing that, that mm-hmm. sticks out is Harrison Bader posting a photo on Instagram of a Pujols five jersey hanging up in the clubhouse, which <laughs> at that point we all knew, but it was like, all right, if we're doing this, then, you know, what's, <laughs> what's the hold up here. Uh, and then, you know, that, that walk in from the right field mm-hmm. gate in the middle of the game at Roger Dean stadium, that was a that was a wild moment, uh, and and one that was that definitely was memorable. Yeah, and now we know the real reason Harrison Bader was traded at the deadline, right? right? Um, much like Randy Rosarena's uh, recording of Mike Schilt. So, um, so yeah, when you got into this business, I mean, I, I know you expected to cover, you know, big names and historic names and stuff like that. But did you ever really think that you'd have a chance to, you know, follow a guy chasing seven hundred? No, I mean, absolutely not. I, I think that, number one, imagining that Albert in particular would, would be back here mm-hmm. at any point. But then number two, just, yeah, anybody who would come close to that sort of threshold, uh, it's sort of really hard thing to wrap your head around. And, you know, when the Angels came in 2019 uh, and they were here for the weekend, I, I do, like, that was that was a cool weekend. I will remember for a long time Mike Trout going out of his way to hold a scrum uh, with both the Angels folks and also the local St. Louis folks to talk about Pujols and, and sort of 
what he'd meant to that organization. And I will also remember, frankly, the way that some people in the Cardinals clubhouse did not appreciate the level of standing ovation he got. I, I, I can I can tell you that the fact that Dakota Hudson had to stand on the mound while a visiting player got a, uh, got, got a curtain call. I, Dakota said all the right stuff. I don't know that all of his teammates were real excited to have mm-hmm. to, to have to watch him do that. So that was that was a really interesting dichotomy of sort of the energy in the ballpark uh, and the extent to which there were. I mean, there were some corners of the clubhouse that were going, all right, enough already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it it definitely, you know, that weekend and then obviously spilling over into this year changes a lot of the perspective on that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, besides it being Albert and all, everything like that, that is, I guess, something not to that level, but players should be kind of a little bit used to, right? I mean, people come back to St. Louis and get, oh, yeah, again, for sure. not the huge, not, you know, if Colton Wong hits a home run, they're probably not giving him a curtain call or anything like that. But, no it's that is for for better or worse one of the the trademarks if you will uh, of cardinal fansdom is they're they're going to obsess over their players oh for sure and but you know i think that sure. anybody who was there that weekend can tell you how it mm-hmm. straight straight i say strange neutrally right because it was right. strange there was a visiting right. player who was the center of the of attention that entire weekend and i'm not saying that there were guys in there that were like you know, turning over furniture, but there were mm-hmm. definitely, I, I can, I can think of a few who were a little flabbergasted and that, you know, maybe had their hackles up that, that home pitcher Dakota Hudson was meant to, uh, was, was, was made to sit out there and have to eat it <laughs> while Albert Pujols ran around the base. It helped, but I think they, they was the Cardinals sweep that weekend or the one, two out of three, it was one or the other. And I, and I know they won that last game. So yeah, that I helped think, a lot. yeah, I think they swept, uh, I, I believe they, they did. So, um, and yeah, that, you're right. I mean, there's, there's definitely has to be a lot, um, especially for people that weren't there for Albert, right? I mean, because right. the clubhouse wasn't, beside Diotti and, and Wainwright, there was nobody there that understood from first-hand experience what Albert was like. Yeah, I mean, aside at that point, aside from those two and tactically Matt Carpenter, there would have been nobody mm-hmm. left. Right. So, so. Again, to, to be able to to see this was was pretty remarkable, um, and of course, then to mix it with Yachty's last year, the idea that it was Wainwright's last year, of course, that wasn't true. Um, you you never you never lacked for something to write about, did you? No, did not for sure. Uh, and you know, it with everything, and, and, and it's funny because we think about what twenty twenty two was about. It will be about Pujols primarily. It will be about Yadier Molina's last year. Uh, and in the meantime, they had two guys finishing the top three of MVP <laughs> voting, and, and one guy win it and, and mm-hmm. win it and romp. And you know those those guys were not the big story of the season, which I think is fascinating uh, and you know pretty indicative of some of the stuff that we're talking about in terms of what Cardinal culture looks like and the appreciation for history and and how that kind of spills over into the way that we look at the modern game. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's too much of that, too much of that nostalgia to some degree? I mean, again, we are talking about legendary players, so it's, it's hard to judge, but yeah. What do and you, think? you know, I, I think it's, I think it's an interesting mix because as someone who grew up here and grew up as a Cardinal fan, these are obviously people and things with which I am super familiar. And I, I think hope that I have the proper amount of appreciation for them. I do think from just the, like the perspective of operating a team and, and looking at, you know, optimizing your organization, if you're the Cardinals, I do think that maybe there is some benefit to a little more, uh, a little more anti-institutional knowledge, bringing in a few more folks from outside the organization to sort of take a look at things and, and, and kind of break down, you know, the way things, the way things are done here, because when you look at, the big decision makers in this organization uh, off the top of my head, I believe Moises Rodriguez is the only one who's had any time in anybody else's front office, everybody else. I mean, I guess Gary LaRock has been around a little bit as well, but it, primarily you're talking about guys who have been here and only here, you know, almost talking mm-hmm. about Mo throwing batting practice for the Rockies in 1993. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, I, I do think that they're, look, they're insular and there are people who would argue and point to that as, as, a reason why they've been so successful and they would be right. But there is something to be said for piercing that veil once in a while. Absolutely. I've talked about that 
before as well, because there have been opportunities here and there to, to get some sort of new blood in. I mean, that was one of the, one of the downsides of, of promoting Marmol or even Schilt in the manager spot was, you know, these are guys that are great. I mean, there's there's no doubt that they understand the, the people and there's a strong argument for having them, but there wasn't, I mean, every once in a while, you just need to know how the other half lives to some degree to be able to make a little bit more informed decisions. I know I, you know, one of the blogger days I asked him, how did they, you know, get that, you know, devil's advocate type of thing. And he, you know, there's people that, to do that but it's hard to do that if you just don't have that perspective i think yeah and i think it's probably noteworthy that i mean i guess the highest profile quote-unquote outside person they've had really around the team for the last i don't even know is can, can we say 10 years it's hard to say uh is is mike maddox right who yeah. who's whose tenure here was i think it's fair to say a little bit up and down uh and, and maybe did not maybe came at a rough time. I, th- I think that Mike Maddox is a guy who is well-respected, well-regarded for what he has done in the game and, and, and for the way that he can manage a staff day to day. I don't know that he is necessarily as well-regarded as someone who's maybe on the cutting edge uh, of all the kind of modernization projects that we see now with, with pitch design and, and, and tracking and the way that they sort of use, you know, those, those mm-hmm. high tech tools, right. To, uh, right. to, to design and, and draw up, uh, ideal repertoires for these guys, and so that's going to be an interesting change to see the, what to see what, what what Dusty and his group now do with that at the big league level, uh, kind of with you know with the reins taken off. Yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting because this is the first time in a long time, probably ever, I guess, that they've had a kind of a unproven um, pitching coach, right? Somebody that hasn't played at the major league level or or coached the major league. Level oh yeah, for an extended period of time. You got to go. I mean, I don't know who was, I don't remember who was here before Dave Duncan, but you have to go before that, and that's a long, long time back. And, you know, and it's funny you know, that you mentioned that because I, I also was sitting here and tracing it backward, uh, and I probably should know who uh, who Joe Torrey's pitching coach was, but the fact that it was Joe Torrey's pitching coach tells me that maybe mm-hmm. it was not. Uh, my my guess is that it was somebody else who would have been in the club. Hold on, what is what does Wikipedia have to say here? Uh, looks like Mark Riggins and before that Joe yeah. Coleman and before yeah. that Mike Rourke. So these are all guys who played in the big leagues. All of these guys back to, back to, you know, 1984. Uh, whereas Dusty Blake is a guy whose only two years in professional ball have been the last two years on the Cardinals big league, big league staff. That's it. I mean, that's, that's his, the, the entirety of his experience in forget the majors in professional ball. Uh, so, you know, this is not, this is not a small gamble by them, but it certainly is not an uncalculated one. It's one that, you know, they, this is a guy they trust. And this is a guy who they, you know, who, who was brought in uh, and who brought that sort of modernizing ability with him. And the guy who, frankly, even if Mike Maddox had come back, Dusty Blake was getting the promotion. I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, the plan would have been for Maddox to stick around for another year or two and, and for Dusty to take over for Brian Eversgird uh, as sort of a natural move up the line. But instead, the whole show is on his shoulders now. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see what he does, that responsibility. Mentioning uh, Blake's, you know, lack of experience. It's really kind of one of those things that's along the whole staff, right? In fact, do you think that's really part of the reason why they were so, I don't know, gung-ho, I don't know if that's the right word, but they really were interested in Matt Holiday coming in because there's just not a whole lot of big league experience. Turner Ward's got some, obviously, but uh, not a whole lot of, you know, big league experience on that staff. I mean, that was definitely one of the things that they talked about um, going into uh, going into last season was, especially with Turner, was wanting somebody who had been kind of in the trenches and who had hit at the major league level and could translate some of the data and the stuff they were getting mm-hmm. from Jeff into a more useful formula for a lot of these guys. I do think that, you know, the areas where Matt Holiday has strength, I don't know that those are necessarily areas they were missing, right? You mentioned Turner. Turner's really well-respected and, and definitely has, you know, a lot of experience. Uh, you're right that the rest of the staff doesn't have a ton, though Stubby definitely had, has a high enough uh, amount, you know, re- reached high enough in pro ball. And Willie mm-hmm. McGee is still there, right? Like, they do have guys on staff with a lot of experience who, who contribute some of that. I think that more than anything – 
what we learned from them hiring Matt Holiday is how much Ali Marmol got out of Skip Schumacher last year and how much he valued not only, you know, the end game stuff, but also, frankly, the personal relationship and being able to trust somebody and having somebody to bounce things off of. Uh, and that's pre-existing with Matt Holiday, you know, and I, 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 and I, I read about this, I think, last week. I don't honestly know how well Matt Holiday is going to run a spring training because Matt Holiday's coaching experience at this point is like his kids in Little League uh, and a volunteer assistant at Oklahoma State. That's not that's not nothing, you know. It's some coaching, but it's also a pretty big leap and a jump away from running an entire big league spring training, which traditionally the bench coach would do. Uh, so it is it is going to be for sure interesting to see how much and it, you know and, and how well he jumps into the more technical sides of the job because like there are things that are the responsibility of the bench coach that Matt Holliday has really probably never had to do in baseball at a level higher than like 10U travel ball. Uh, so it's good, you know, to see him do that is going to be, I think one thing to watch throughout this season. Yeah. Although as you continue to talk about his lack of experience, which is fair, I, I just think about the fact that the Cardinals had a manager with less. So I guess. It's I, not, and it's we all as, know how well that worked. Out. Also true. Also true. At least, at least this time they learned to, you know, maybe not make him the, the top guy on the, on the totem pole. But um, yeah, I think it is going to be very interesting to see how he meshes. And again, being a little bit more old school in general, um, I, I think it's going to be, I mean, it's it's not every team that has everybody in the stands wearing the hitting or the bench coach's uh, jersey, um, so that's that's a, that's an interesting thing. I, I don't know. At least at least he probably won't get the animosity that some coaches have gotten over the past few years. No, and, and nor should he, right? Like, right. I, I do think there's going to have to be a little bit of grace given to some learning on the job. And again, like he's the bench coach. He's not the manager. It's not like he's operating without a parachute here. I don't, you know, I don't think that all of a sudden Ollie becomes a worse manager because it's Matt Holiday sitting there instead of Skip Schumacher. Uh, But it is, it is a different level of experience to your point. And so, you know, to see sort of how that, how that manifests itself in the dugout is, is for sure going to be interesting. Were you, you know, maybe this is a question we should have asked a long while back, but were you surprised that there was so much turnover this year? I think, you know, the, the idea that Schumacher was going to get a managerial job was not too too shocking to a lot of people, but the hitting coach and pitching coach all turning over at the same time. Did you really see that coming? Um, not really. Uh, I I don't think any of the individual things shocked me. I was a little surprised that that Miami was the place that Skip ended up. I, I figured that maybe they would that he would be here for another year. Uh, and and frankly, I, I was I am surprised that Miami in that market did not hire, to be honest, like a bilingual manager uh, for yeah. one. You know, among other things, I that seemed like like Joe Espada was going to end up there, but he continues to not end up places. So maybe there's something I don't know uh, going on there. Uh, but no, I, I do think that was kind of a surprise. I think the Maddox move was a surprise to no one. That was, that was pretty well expected. You know, I, I know Mo said that he offered him a deal to come back and he would have been happy to have him back. I, that was one where I, I, that I think we all pretty well saw that, saw that one coming. Uh, and then with Jeff, you know, it, the timing is so interesting. And I think that frankly, I think that there was probably a little bit of frustration in the front office that the timing came when it did, because they, they, stood in front of him for a long time mm-hmm. and there were there were a number of years where you know where they they sort of bit the bullet and and took responsibility for a lot of stuff uh that was designed to let jeff off the hook and i i do think that there was probably a little bit of frustration that he was willing to leave for what is in in the baseball world what is a demotion now you know whether he's making the same amount of money i would be pretty shocked if he was to be honest and obviously it's a less mm-hmm. prominent role uh Know, maybe bigger market, maybe it's a better, you know, a better franchise if you, you know, buying into what's going on with the Mets right now. I, I do think that there was a little bit of uh, annoyance maybe is too strong, but maybe call it exasperation uh, about a guy who got, who got an opportunity in St. Louis and who got a lot of loyalty from the front office here and repaid it with my deal is up. See you later. Yeah, that's a good point because you're right. They they definitely did everything they could to, you know, take the heat off of him. Um, you know, and a lot of that heat was not deserved, but that's, you know, the nature of fandom to some degree too. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, for him to, you know, kind of 
without warning kind of walk out the door. I, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thought. And yeah, I, I imagine that they were glad to have Turner Ward on staff so they could bump him up, but um, they didn't really want to do that just yet. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with, with Turner, his influence with Goldschmidt and the influence of Paul Goldschmidt there uh, is a big part of that. And and that's not, again, that's not a takeaway from Turner, who did an excellent job last year and, and was a big part of, of turning around an offense into, honestly, what turned out to be one of the more productive offenses in the NL. Uh, and that's it's not a coincidence that happens once once Turner shows up. But, yeah, definitely. You know, and I think, I think in theory, with the way that the structure is broken down now, the titles say hitting coach and assistant hitting coach, and I'm sure that probably the paychecks uh, are, are differentiated similarly. But in a lot of ways, it's going to be, I think, a similar split between Turner and, and Brandon as to, to how it was between Turner and Jeff, which is to say that, you know, Turner is the guy whose job it is to take the data, take the readouts uh, and integrate that with how guys are feeling and when, what their swing mm-hmm. looks like when they feel like they look good and compare that to maybe some of the measurables that, that I think Jeff largely rounded up and, and, and that I'm sure that BA is going to be a big part of continuing just based on the way that he had been kind of molded as a coach in that system. Do you think that without the name of Jeff Albert and the face of Jeff Albert on this, that people will calm down a little bit, I guess is the best way to say it. Or is it just going to be, okay, Turner Ward kind of boots up into the, you know, the, the dunk tank. Um, I, I do think it's going to chill out a little bit because I think, you know, when you step back, the offense really was good last Ooh, year. Like right. it, 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 it was, uh, and I think there is going to be, you know, there's going to be some cool down there. I think Jeff is a guy who was definitely a lightning rod for a lot of reasons up to and including the Astro stuff, which, you know, by and large, look again, talk about how hard things were or weren't here for Jeff Albert. He had to do like one presser uh, about the Astros <laughs> thing. And then it largely went away. And I, I can't recall him really ever being asked about it again after that one yeah. presser. So all things considered, I don't think it was necessarily that tough on him. Um, but I, I, I do think primarily that to the extent that there is heat, and there always is, there always will be heat. That's again, as you mentioned, that's sort of the nature of fandom. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's all heaped on Mo at this point. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I started to write last year in spring had done some work on kind of the, you know, the new era of the Cardinals, or at least an era where these decisions are all on Mo now. Like, like the decision to fire Mike Chilton to move on from that placed everything very squarely at his feet. Uh, and then frankly, Albert showed up and changed the equation and, mm-hmm. and, and made the perception of last year's team, I think very, very different uh, and, and flipped the script on what we all thought the 2022 was going to be about. But now I think that's what 2023 is going to be about is going to be about putting things uh, at the feet of this front office and, you know, the choices they made or didn't make. Look, if, if this team has trouble scoring runs, Early this season, I don't think that the people are going to be screaming about turn reward. I think they're going to be screaming about a trade turner, uh, and and that is yeah. where I think a lot of the attention is going to be. Yeah, and and that's I mean, if front offices want all the control in the managerial spot, which is tends to be what is going on in baseball these days, then you know the credit comes also comes the blame as well. And so, yeah, I right. think that's a a real good, real fair place to start pointing fingers at because I mean for better or for worse, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, Ollie has a lot to say about things, but, you know, nowadays managers don't, don't maybe not get that heat that they, they, they might have in the past just because you could kind of say, well, I'm not calling all the shots. Yeah. Look, I, I think that when you look at the way that they built out the offense in particular uh, going in, you know, even including last spring, they reached, they reached the conclusion that, that Dickerson and Pujols were going to give them more, than a full season of Gorman and Yepes were going to give them. And, mm-hmm. you know, look, it's hard to argue with that when it comes to Pujols, as good as Juan Yepes was last year. Hard to make that, hard to make that argument. And, and Corey Dickerson, for all of the all of the empty calories that he kind of represented, <laughs> was exactly a league average hitter. Now, if you take away whatever it was, 10 singles and 10 at-bats in Chicago yeah. and then in August, then I think he all of a sudden is like an 82 OPS plus guy, so maybe not so much. But, you know, for all, for all the everything – he was league, he was league average. And would they have gotten that from Gorman over a full season? I, I'm, I'm skeptical. The power is the power, but over a full season, who knows how many holes pop up. Now you compare that to this year and clearly their calculus is 
the the guys that are that are available on the market from the left side, they like Gorman and Alec Burleson more than, or at least they think they will get similar production for a lot less cash. And you look at the right side guys and right side DH options. They like Juan Yepes more than the guys that they feel like they can get. You know, is that is that true? Is that right or wrong? We'll see. But that's a front office decision and not one really that coaching has almost anything to do about. I want to get back to the front office a little bit later on because I know we talk. You you brought that up in your predictions column that I, I know a lot of people grabbed onto. So I want to talk about that. But before we get too far off of twenty twenty two. You know, can you explain to me maybe, or how weird was Yadier Molina's last year for, you know, everybody involved? It seemed like it wasn't necessarily the Yadier that we were used to when he goes home for six weeks in the middle of the season. You know, it's funny. I, For me, from my seat, it wasn't really different at all because, Ooh. you know, Yadier talks four times a year. And it is what it is. And the rest of the, and the rest of the time, there was a clear understanding, which was don't bother me. And I am not going to yell at anybody. And that was fine. And look, and I, I say that when you, when I, in my career have needed something from Yadier Molina, he's been willing to do it uh, because y- you pick your spots, right? You mm-hmm. don't, there's not a lot of day-to-day BS with the audience. Look, I need you for this. And then he'll, he'll make it happen. Um, but in terms of like, you know, how it was around the clubhouse, how it was for the writers, how it was day to day, the things that you read about with, you know, in terms of leadership and coaching and what he does behind the scenes are not things that happen in front of our eyes typically anyway. And mm-hmm. so it, 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 the lack of presence there wasn't that unusual. Now, the situations were unusual, but again, at the same time, there did become some diminishing returns where it's like, we can ask about this every single day and, and why is he allowed mm-hmm. to do X, Y, and Z? And the answer is because it's Yadier Molina. Like, I, you know, there's not, mm-hmm. there's not a satisfying answer to that question because there's not, there's not a satisfying answer. Of course there was stuff done and things were handled in a way that, that other players wouldn't have been able to do. And that there were some double standards and it's like, yeah, they aren't double standards. They're different standards, right? It's different standards right. for different guys. That's, that's, that's the way the world works. And, you know, are there other guys, how many other guys in baseball would have been allowed, encouraged to go home for a basketball tournament or whatever <laughs> the hell that was in July or August? Probably not that many. But when you look at it from their perspective, and if the question is, let me go home or I'm going home anyway, and that'll be the last you see of me, what are they going to do? Like At that point, right. with a guy retiring at the end of the season, what are the Cardinals supposed to do there other than shrug and, and say it's fine and move on to the next thing? I guess it's been, we have, from a fan's point of view, it feels like that we've seen such a competitive fire out of Yachty for so long that, you know, he's, you know, a guy that's come back quickly or, or from any kind of injury playing every day, but all that stuff, just to see him, I don't want to say he was going through the motions because I don't think that was, that's fair, but it definitely felt like, and maybe it was in, in highlight of, 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 of Albert looking like old Albert. Um, it really felt like Yachty was a shadow of himself all the way for in almost every way last year. Yeah. And I, I think part of that too, is the clock does catch up with everybody eventually mm-hmm. for all of, you know, for all of the, the, the everything about Yachty or Molina for his entire career. At some point, the old age thing gets you. And right. I think for, I think for Yachty, it was hard to show up to spring and all of a sudden realize, oh, I'm not the guy that I was, right? That's a hard thing to deal with mentally. And, you know, you read about athletes who, who deal with this. Most of them deal with it outside their careers. After they retire, find themselves dealing with, you know, dealing with a body that doesn't do what it used to do. And Yadier Molina had to deal with it in the last year of his career and found himself all of a sudden with, the, with, with knees that maybe just couldn't quite take it the way that they used to. And, you know, I think I think the mental anguish of that, was maybe every bit as challenging as the physical part of it. Like however bad he felt physically was contributing to how he was feeling mentally. And that created a pretty nasty circle for him for most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's true. I mean, it, it has to be, especially since he's been carrying the load for so long and, and not, I don't want to say he dropped off a cliff this year, because obviously the bat has been slowing down, but he definitely 
could have expected to come to spring training being stronger than he was. Uh, and it, it felt like, you know, whatever was going on at home was uh, affecting him as well uh, with the late entry and, you know, returning every once in a while. Um, so yeah, I get that. It just was, I, you never want to say it because, uh, you know, that kind of thing reminds you that, you know, also I am getting old. Um, but that does, you know, that's, that is the way of, of baseball. You know, you watch these guys for 10 or 15 or 20 years and, and then all of a sudden they're not there and you're still watching. It's, it's a very strange thing. Yeah. You know, as people always say that the game tells you when it's done with you more often than people are able to put the game down. Mm-hmm. And frankly, like I, I think Yadier Molina got told that the game was done with him. Yeah. Now he was done anyway, but I, I think that, I think there was a little bit of rude awakening in terms of what he really could or couldn't do. And I think, I think the mental impact of that uh, spilled over a lot into the player that we saw last season. Cardinals obviously moving very quickly to fill that spot in this off season, but were you a little bit surprised how obvious they were about the need for catcher instead of at least making lip service to Kisner and Herrera can be fine? You know, it's, I'm not that surprised by how open they were with it, if only because it was fairly clear, I think, to most people. What did surprise me was that they weren't more delicate with it, I guess. So maybe that's the yeah. same way, you know, the same description of what you're talking about, which is to say that, like, I don't, I don't know that they had to like grab both shovels and throw the dirt on Kisner on <laughs> like day one of the off season, right? That you know, I don't know that that was right. super necessary, uh, but it look, I mean, they were clear from the beginning, which. The one thing that you know that I'll say definitely for Marmol and in also in large degree to the uh, to the front office as well is that when they say things to us, it's not things that haven't already been said to players. And at that point, you know, it had been a while since the end of season meetings and you know and, and the checkouts. So I'm sure that when we heard it, it was something that Kisner hadn't previously heard, uh, nothing that right. he wasn't previously aware of. But I, I I can't imagine it was like a whole ton of fun. Uh, to, to hear that for him. And I, I was, I was a little surprised that it didn't take a little more care and just sort of, you know, papering it over or at least, you know, pumping his tires a little bit. Uh, given that, you know, look, he does play an important role on this team. And even in the best case scenario for Wilson Contreras, Andrew Kisner probably starts 55 or 60 games, I would think mm-hmm. probably in 2023. And is a guy who does do a lot of work with the pitchers and so on. So yeah, you know, the fact that they, they, they dismissed him so readily out of hand was a little surprising, but I, I guess I can't say I was shocked. Yeah. Just, just checking for tire marks uh, when he gets to spring training and see if the bus left any. Um, but yeah, I, w- I just, I feel like we have seen them be, even when we knew there was an opportunity, when there was a spot that they needed to fill, that they've been a little bit more diplomatic about it. So it was a bit interesting to see what, well, it's not diplomatic, I guess as well. And you and I, I think talked about this on Twitter one time is Mo's end of the year press conference where he was very adamant about the fact that payroll is going up. Um, as you wrote in your, I think your article today, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, technically is, is, is he's technically correct in that, but that's really not what anybody expected. Is that something that he's going to want to backtrack or he's, he just going to kind of hold on to, well, we did increase payroll, um, and deal with the accounting later. Yeah, I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's going to be, I said it would go up. I didn't say how much it went up. And by the way, if we're going to add during the season and, you know, and at the end of the year, we're going to be at a higher number than we've ever been before. Because you know, at the end of, of 2023, by the time they go through a full season and pay, you know, pay their payroll and, and pay their benefits and everything else, their their CBT number is probably going to be a nudge over 200 by the end of the year, which is which is an increase. And that'll be the first time that's the case for them. Uh, you know, it's not it's not maybe competitive with the top teams in the league now anymore, but it is it is definitely an increase. You know, I, I think that the thing that stands out about that more than anything else is that that you know that that presser was whatever it was the first week of November right after the World Series. I think mm-hmm. it was somewhere in there. Uh, by the time the GM meetings rolled around two weeks after that, there was already a little bit of quiet trying to to walk that back. I think in some corners of the front office and, and trying to to ratchet down expectations, which made sense to me because frankly, like 
the fact that he was so vehement about it, I, I'm sitting in that presser and in my head, I'm going, I don't know who they're spending the money on. Like, uh, um, you mm-hmm. know, um, unless they were, unless they were going to go get one of the shortstops, which I don't think there was ever a realistic possibility, save for maybe Swanson and a different catcher. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I, you know, I, I went on a different show at the start of the off season, not long after those comments and, and said that I, maybe the guy was Carlos Rodon and maybe like maybe in theory it was, that was the only guy that to me stood out as somebody who they could spend the kind of money on that they would have to spend. But also, frankly, at that point, I didn't think that Contreras was their catcher. I, I, I thought that I thought that we were really heavy in the Sean Murphy business uh, and that Contreras was not uh, that there was a lot of interest from Contreras and the Cardinals. I was skeptical that there was a lot that went the other direction uh, and whether or not that was true on you know November 1st. Clearly, by December 1st, that had shifted. Right. Yeah, if if they had been able to pull off the Murray, Murray trade, um, do you think that they spend somewhere else, or would they have just said, "Well, we improved and we didn't have to raise payroll after all"? No, I, I do think there are permutations of that. Where mm-hmm. if they if they trade for Murphy, then they sign Swanson. I, I do think there is a version of the offseason that goes that way, uh, in part because if you're trading off the roster. To, to get Murphy, you have to backfill right. that guy. And if it's an infielder, you know, whether it's whether it's it's Donovan like the like the A's wanted or whether it's Gorman like maybe the Cardinals could have possibly preferred to do, you would have needed to backfill for that. And so at that point, when you bring in Swanson and Edmund can move around, uh, you have maybe shored up your roster a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. That, that, that makes sense. So as we stand right now, is do you think this is it? Do you think this is basically the the, the team that they're going to you know make some you know when they get take the spring training? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't know. Where's Where's Andrew Chapin on the something scale? <laughs> that would that would count as something. New, yeah, that that, that would of. be. I I think I think that I think that that would probably be him or someone like him. I don't know who someone like him is. Chapin is the guy who I. Well, watch it. I, th- I think that's a guy who fits uh, a good deal of, of what they might want to do. Though, I, at some point, they're going to have to sort out what the hell they're going to do with the five swingmen they already have on their roster before they worry about getting <laughs> Zach Thompson into that spot. But that's, I guess, somebody else's problem. And, you know, the attrition of time solves some of that. Um, but, yeah, I think aside from aside from potentially that, I think that this is pretty well what they're set on, I you know. I don't see a lot of other places where there would be changes. You're talking about maybe the rotation. Sure. But you probably would have to send a starter out to make that deal make sense. And you know, there are, there are guys who you could send out to make that happen. Um, but the fact that they didn't pursue that earlier in the off season and they were pretty dismissive, you know, when I asked about the, the dollar value of pitching on the market and whether that makes one year guys more attractive to flip and then go get it somewhere else that did not seem to get a whole lot of traction. So, you know, if they're not going to trade Montgomery and they're not going to trade Flaherty and they're not going to trade Michaelis, you know, are they going to trade for Pablo Lopez and send out Dakota Hudson as part of that deal and, and create a bigger log jam? I'm skeptical. I guess they, I guess they could, but that would surprise me a good amount. Yeah. Yeah. That does seem to be a lot of, good pieces maybe not a lot of great pieces um and, and speaking of roster machinations paul de young is still on this roster what i mean and he's getting nine million dollars next year how does that work for the cardinals next year well i mean they're paying the money regardless i think that right. even if they had been able to trade him this offseason or if they're able to trade him this spring they're having to take on a significant portion of that money. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, for a while, I thought a matchup that, that made a lot of sense, uh, frankly, was was with Seattle and Jesse Winker. That to me, that to me would have been an interesting way to sort of flip one problem for another and, and see if, you know, the guys that get flipped can kind of make it happen in their new spot. I do think there is a degree to which the Cardinals feel like they're a little bit thin up the middle. So like, as of right now, I, if Tommy Edmond is the starting shortstop, Paul DeYoung obviously is the backup. But if you were to remove DeYoung from that equation, I'm not sure who the backup shortstop is. Is it Donovan? Maybe. Uh, I don't know that they feel great about that. 
but but I, I guess that would be the guy because once you get past Don, and we're talking about like Jose Fermin, uh, Kramer Robertson yeah. from off the roster, right? Like the, the, there's not a lot of upper level depth there, especially if you assume that we're not talking about like Mason Wynn jumping from double A to the big leagues to play shortstop if something were to happen to Edmund. So I do think that they are probably going to go into spring uh, with the young having the opportunity to to be useful, I guess, right? Like he's going to have to play multiple positions. He's going to have to, you know, play some second, play some third. I, is there a world where he needs to buy an outfield glove? Maybe. Uh, and as a guy who's going to have to be a really good defender to get sprinkled around and hit well enough that either he can drum up some interest elsewhere or that the Cardinals can make him serviceable. Because at this point, the money is the money. And I don't know if they're getting out yeah. underneath it either way. No, I can't imagine that anybody would take, I mean, like you said, unless it's bad contract for bad contract, and that doesn't really necessarily help them a lot either, depending on where they're at. But um, yeah, I just, you know, you start looking at trying to get to 26 men and yeah, he, you're right. I think you're probably right. And he's the backup shortstop because, you know, I don't, when is, when is coming, but he's not here yet. So um, now somebody that is coming apparently maybe is Jordan Walker who's at least going to have a chance to make an impact this spring. Does he need a Albert Pujols 2001 spring to make this roster? Or does he need just like a really good one? Um, I don't think he needs an Albert Pujols 2001 spring to make the roster. I'm trying to think what kind of spring does he need? Um, does he, oh, here's, here's a one that's a little bit off the beaten path. Does he need a John Nagowski 21, 2021 mm-hmm. spring to make mm-hmm. the roster? Maybe, right? Does he maybe need to hit like 430 uh, and, and show that he can handle the glove at a, different, at, a, at a bunch of different spots? He might need that kind of spring. Part of it is going to come down to numbers. You know, again, you look at when you start counting to 26 and really start counting to 13, you're talking about right. a bench that's got Kisner on it, that's got, that's got right now Paul DeYoung on it. Uh, that mm-hmm. has at least one, you know, one of Yepes Gorman Burleson is in the starting lineup, and at least one of the others is on the bench. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, that leaves one spot for, you know, whatever for Burleson, for Walker, for whoever else is a depth guy there. If we assume that that Carlson Newpar O'Neill is the outfield, and you know, if that's the case, is Walker in the spot now where he's in that prospect zone of? It doesn't do any good to have him sit on the bench in VH and, and get, you know, 12 at-bats a week or whatever in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. It's better for him to get 30 at-bats a week at AAA, maybe, especially if there's reps in the outfield, yada, yada, yada. So I, I do think he is going to have to play up to it. I do think he is going to get a hell of a lot of opportunity to play up to it uh, because in a World Baseball Classic spring with so <laughs> many guys going to be out of camp, I mean, he might – he might get 75 spring at bats. That's, that's entirely possible at this point. Yeah. I mean, he'll, I, there's a real good chance he leads the team in at bats in the spring because of that. Right. I, I, I think mean, if they're going I to think want if to you were, yeah. possible. If you were, if you were forced at gunpoint to wager uh, on who, who leads the Cardinals in spring at bats, I would, I would maybe sprinkle it around Walker Burleson DeYoung. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, it's going to be very interesting, not only for the Cardinals and seeing how many people are gone, but, you know, who they, you know, what does it mean for who they face? You know, again, it's it's kind of like John Nagowski to some degree, not that, you know, obviously Jordan Walker is much more talented, but that idea of that guy that comes out in spring training and just rakes and then you don't see him again, uh, you know, after like May, kind of Aaron Brooks of last year, right? I mean, great spring, everybody gets excited and then, then he's waved and then I don't, I don't think that that. I, I wonder if even a good spring, they're like, they're hesitant to believe it and send him to AAA. But he hasn't played yet. Can I just say the Brooks thing was so weird last year mm. because it was one of those where like they randomly added it into the roster on a day where they didn't really have to. Like as far as we could tell, and as far as he knew, it wasn't like he had an opt out that day. So they had <laughs> they, they they had to carve him a spot guaranteed that he was going to make the roster really for basically no reason. And then, yeah, he hung around for two weeks and then they cut bait when it was clear that Palante was so good that there was no way they could justify sending Palante out and keeping Brooks on the, on the team. And he played the year out of Memphis and, you know, good for him. 
Uh, but it was it was very strange the way that all got handled because I you know he had a fine spring that I, I don't think he necessarily blew anybody's doors off regardless of how the numbers looked. But they they you know look they made the investment and I'm sure that they'd had a conversation with him before he came back about what the role would look like and they lived up to their end of it. But it didn't go great. No, not so much. I want to say when I was looking at the, you know, doing my work at the end of the year that maybe he ended the year like suspended at Memphis, but I couldn't find anything else more about it. So I don't know how that worked, but you know, it was, yeah, it was a shot. A, at a he signed a minor league deal with the Padres at some point this winter. So if he yeah. was suspended, I don't mean it might've been for like a, I don't, he plunked somebody who knows. I, I don't, that was one yeah, that I, yeah. one that, that got off my radar. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure that that's accurate either. So that's that's fun. But um, yeah, I just I'm I'm sure they're looking and they're continued. They should be looking for strikeouts, which is what he had a little bit in spring. But again, was he striking out major league hitters or was he striking out double A guys? You know, I, I with the, that's well, hard. It's so hard to tell in spring training. I mean, you can see it, but when you're looking at the stats, it's a little bit difficult. It is, and that's you know that also I think sort of highlights what we saw them do at the winter meetings in terms of the small pieces they added, like that's the reason Guillermo Zuniga gets a major league deal in a 40 man spot because they liked that He could strike guys out. That's the reason they gamble on Will King Rodriguez uh, who like struck out everybody in Mexico for all of last season. The Cardinals tried to sign him. The team wouldn't let him go. And so the Yankees picked him up at the end of the year and then the Cardinals swiped them out, you know, in the rule five, that, that's right. And you know, you will you look, you'll watch the video. And he looks nasty, but he looks nasty against guys that are playing in Mexico during the MLB season. So what, you know, mm-hmm. who's to say? Right, right. It's until they get to the big stage, it's really kind of difficult. Um, so let's, I think we've kind of, you know, Jordan Walker was the first part of your prediction articles. Um, you've got Brendan Donovan as the most of the leadoff spot. Um I think that that feels pretty good. I don't know. I feel like they've they've decided to move on from Tommy Edmond in that spot, at least on the on the regular, consistent basis, right? Yeah, I think that they were really happy with what they got from Edmond uh, at the bottom of the order last season. I think that the OBP, frankly, against righty pitchers is just not quite good enough for him to mm-hmm. for him to have the majority in that spot. And there are better options, you know, and if it's if it's not Donovan, it's Newpar, but I think that they're going to hope for enough slug out of Newpar uh, that, that it puts Donovan kind of in the driver's seat for that role. Speaking of Newpar, you've got him playing center more than anybody else. Um, is that a function, do you think, of the metrics that are looking good for him and the, the work that he's done in this offseason, or is it just you just don't know what you're going to get out of Dylan Carlson? Um, I think it's, I think it's, I would, I would say that it is more meant to be a, a compliment to what we've seen progression wise from Newtbar than it is meant to be skeptical of Carlson. I, I do think also that the Cardinals know that Carlson handles right fairly to very well. They trust the arm out there and it takes a little bit of load, maybe off of his legs, uh, that could, that could help him at the plate a little bit. But I, I think frankly, it boils down to me to, if the Cardinals were planning for Dylan Carlson to be the center fielder, they could just say that, right? That would not be a right. shock. To anyone. He, right. he, in many ways, most ways, is the incumbent center fielder. And so, you know, when they get asked about it, the fact that that's not the answer, that the answer is center field is wide open. And, it, you know, we talked to Mosey Lock, and he just sort of reflexively lists the outfield as O'Neill, Newpark, Carlson. Uh, and then when I asked him if that's how we saw it left to right, he was like, yeah, I imagine I do. You know, I, there are, like, it does sure seem like it's pointed that direction. And that's going to be one of the conversations, not only at winter warmup, but also in, in spring is what is like, what is the differentiator there? And why is Newpar the guy? Like, why do they like Newpar more than Carlson apparently in center? I think that's going to be an interesting thing to sort of flush out. So, and uh, yeah, I think that is, I think that's going to be fun. So I know you were talking, you know, we were talking about the bench and stuff. Do you think that if those are the main starters, that does Alec Burleson really have a spot on the major league roster, or does he wind up having to, you know, do a little bit more at Memphis, even though he had such a great run there last year? I think there is a universe where Burleson breaks camp with the big league club and Nolan Gorman does not. 
I mm. think I think that is an option that is that is potentially on the table, depending on what the makeup of the roster looks like at the end of spring. I I, I think functionally those two right now ser- serve basically the same role, which is they're you know they're the lefty half of a of a DH platoon, uh, and there are guys that can you know that can take big at bats late in games against tough righties. If for example you have Edmund or Carlson guys who obviously you know split the other direction. There are going to be at bats for for Gorman and for Burleson in those spots. Um, I you know, I, I guess I don't really have a good feel for which of the two of them is more likely to break camp with the club, other than to say Burleson is a guy they can trust to play the outfield. And how many spare outfielders really do they have right now? I, you know, right. I, I maybe look maybe Oscar Mercado shows up to camp and all of a sudden looks like a guy who they want to have in the big leagues. I'm not. That wouldn't shock me either, right? I think there's definitely a universe where, where Mercado uh, gets put on the 40 and all of a sudden is on the opening day roster because he can back up and center and he can run a little bit and then this, that, and the other thing. But I, I, I do think Burleson's got a real shot to kind of to grab that job at spring. I am, I'm going to be – it's going to be interesting. Obviously, he had such a great year in Memphis last year, and I'm very – Again, I'm, it's, to some degree, this roster juggling is going to be maybe the most interesting thing to come out of camp to see how they're going to do all this. And, you know, how many times are you going to run the Memphis shuttle on a few of these guys? Um, because that even with five options, there's still plenty of time for them to go back and forth for a couple of weeks or a month. And, you know, not just because not because they need to, but because the, the big club needs them to. Yeah, ask, ask Packy Naughton last year how much the, uh, <laughs> the five option ceiling affected or didn't affect his year. Yeah, patron pitcher. Gotta gotta love a, a Packy Naughton but reference. That five, five options, it turns out, is still a hell of a lot of options. <laughs> well, and he got, didn't he get sit down once before the five options started? He I did. So he actually had, yeah, he had like six or seven because by the end of the year, he had a couple in April when they weren't, yeah, they, were, they didn't start tolling those until May 1st because of the, the lockout quick start last year. So he had a couple in April that did not count. Yeah. That will count this year though. Right. I mean, they will count this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and speaking of, I mean, and I know we could talk about this now and it may change, but right now zombie runners are gone, right? Uh, no, those are, those are permanent. Oh, I missed that part. Uh, I hate that. Um, but you know, I've I've ran from that. I just yeah, I I, for some reason I didn't ever see that they had put that in permanently. Yeah, no, those are the the zombie runners are, are here. I'm I'm googling this because I'm 99 and a half percent sure. Uh, MLB tiebreaker 2023. I I yeah I I'm where is it? Uh, that's not the right Google search. What am I here? Extra. This is really good podcasting and definitely a thing I should hey. I should know by now. Yeah, this is a, it's, but you should hear Alan and I trying to find something. It's always, people love it. Um, that's, that's one, this is one of those where like the day that it got announced or like I read that this is permanent. I went, okay. And then I filed it. And then I just, I completely, yeah. it went I, out I on the internet. But, yeah, but yeah, yes, the ghost so. runner does, does still exist. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I keep hoping and it keeps getting taken away from me, but that's life. Um, Juan Yepes hitting more home runs than Wilson Contreras. Uh, so Yepes regular DH is that the the idea? Do you think? I mean, not not every day, yeah. but regular. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I would expect again of the guys that are currently on the roster, I would expect Yepes to to have more DH at bats than anybody else who's in that spot right now. Uh, and look, he's earned it. You know, I, I think. I, I ran the numbers for the story that you're talking about. I think it was Yepes had one homer every 21 or so at bats, and and Contreras has one every 18 ish. Uh, so those are those are numbers that are kind of merging toward the middle, and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Yepes uh, exceed by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see what Contreras will do in Bush Stadium, but I mean Yepes has proven he can hit it out of pretty much anywhere if it, at the right time. So. Um, I'm very interested to see how that, how that, how he gets used as well this year. Um, getting a little bit late, but I do want to talk about, you know, the idea that you brought up that uh, mentioning that most contracts up at the end of the year, and there seems to be some, you know, signs that there is going to be a little bit of a front office 
I don't want to say shake up because I, I don't, I don't feel like and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like Mo necessarily leaves the organization more than just kind of gets into a different position. Is that accurate? Yeah, or do you think he could be completely gone? No, I, I think I can definitely imagine him kind of being, you know, kicked upstairs. And I, I think the way to look mm-hmm. at it is sort of the role that Billy Bean had in Oakland for the last couple of years. I think he's totally gone now, but the role that Billy Bean had in Oakland where it was like senior advisor to baseball operations, but David Force was running the show. I, it's very easy for me to imagine Mo as some sort of executive vice, you know, senior advisor, executive vice president of baseball operations, uh, but no longer being the day-to-day guy in baseball ops and no longer being kind of the face and voice of the franchise. And I think the fact that, you know, both both Michael Gersh and Randy Flores, who had been pursued for some pretty big front office jobs, were really tepid in their interest in those jobs, uh, based in large part because I think they also sort of see the direction things are pointed. Like, you know, Mo has been at this point in charge of baseball ops. Uh, this is his 15th or 16th year away. He took over in 2007 after Walt Jockey was fired. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been that uh, last year uh, he, he officially celebrated had been a part of the Cardinals front office for more than half his life. Last year, there was, I believe, when he it was his 27th anniversary of being hired, and he was still 53 at that point. Uh, so more than more than half his life, he'd been a part of the Cardinals front office. And the contract is up after 23. They announced the extensions quietly for Gersh and for Flo, uh, and they didn't announce one for Mo. You know, and the last time this happened, the last time the contracts came up, they announced an extension for Schilt and for Gersh through 22. Uh, and then Mo through 23, they gave him one extra year, basically for the extra stability as being the guy in charge. And that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and I think, you know, you talk to people that are around the team a lot. I think that there is a degree, you know, there there is some sense that maybe he's kind of reaching the end of the line, not in terms of, you know, whether or not ownership wants him there, but just in terms of how much longer does he want to do it? Uh, and, you know, because I don't, I don't think anybody imagines that he's going to be in that job for 20 more years. I don't think right. anybody imagines he's going to be in the job for 10 more years. And so if not, is now the time? And I think there are a lot of people who, who believe that it is. Yeah. Um, I know that when he actually got the, the, you know, the title bump up to president of baseball operations, there was the idea that he'd go to big picture thinking and, and Gersh would do the day to day. And then COVID kind of came around and, right. you know, he's kind of said that he couldn't turn that over. And I think he's kind of gotten into that habit. Is that, is that where you kind of get that idea that maybe eventually, you know, they give him something else completely to do so he can actually do that. And, and, and Gersh can have a kind of a clear field to take over and be that face. So the two things I would say that are, are, are number one, I don't, I think it's more that, yeah, I think maybe it would, it would just sort of formalize that, that larger big picture type type deal for him. Um, but the second thing I would say is that I would not, I would caution against making the assumption that it's Gersh is the guy who takes mm. over linearly. I, I, I think that, I think there's a real chance that for instance, Gersh stays in his current job and Randy Flores is the guy who jumps into the mo chair. I think, I think that's a real possibility. And I don't know the, the personalities and I don't know the dynamics, but would Gersh stay as GM? Uh, it's, you know, it's, jumped him? it's an interesting question. And that's, that's one that's, that's sort of been kicked around uh, among some folks. And I, I think my, my inclination is to say yes, both because, you know, there are, there, look, Gersh has younger kids that are in school and whatnot. That's a hard time mm-hmm. to, to, to pick kids up and move them around. Uh, and has a, has a, a pretty good gig. And, you know, came up through this organization, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it, it's a guy who his first job in baseball was with the Cardinals. And and so that's a guy who's got those connections, but also frankly, I think in a front office uh, that where, you know, where Flo was the president of baseball operations and Gersh was still the GM. I think it is maybe a little bit of a different power share. I think mm-hmm. it is not the situation that we see now where Mo is the baseball ops guy. And, and like Gersh plays a big role in that. Don't get me wrong. But I, I do think the uh, I do think the devolution of authority and, and jobs there would look a little different uh, with those two guys as opposed to Mo in the front office. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Um, and, and maybe 
maybe the lines wouldn't be quite as sharply drawn uh, with those. And guys. I think, and, you know, and I think also with, with Flores having such a strong background in the draft and in player development, that maybe you would see, you know, some, some more delineation along those lines, right? Because mm-hmm. Mo, for all the things that he does, for all the things that he does do when he is involved in, he's not really as dug, excuse me, as dug in on like the day-to-day player development stuff. Uh, just because running the big league team doesn't leave that much time for that to be a possibility. Whereas mm-hmm. if that were to, you know, if some of that were to stay on Flores' plate, for instance, maybe that divides those jobs a little differently. It'll be interesting to see how this all pans out. So you've got the Cardinals making it to the NLCS before bowing out against the Mets. Um, do you, I, I'm assuming you still expect them to have to play the two rounds before they get there and not be one of the top two teams. Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm going to say yes, though I can imagine a scenario where they have the second best record in the NL. I can see that happening. Really? Who would you who would you say that you're saying the Mets would be the top one then? Or I would, yeah, I would I would say the Mets would be the top seed, and I can definitely imagine uh, in an NL West where the Diamondbacks are a little bit better, the Giants, who the hell knows, and the Dodgers and the Padres with less separation maybe beat each other up a little bit more because mm-hmm. this is a Dodgers team that like the Dodgers quietly have had a pretty much nothing off season and have taken, yeah. I think a pretty good step back. Now there, there are guys, there are prospects obviously who they're, who they're counting on to, to make big impacts and maybe they will, but you know, I, I, I just, the Dodgers have taken a step back this winter for sure. Well, every team is a dynasty until they're not. Right. So um, it's it's always a possibility. Um, and shoot, I just had an I just oh, how do you think the more balanced schedule? The fact that they see everybody, they don't play the NL Central quite as often. Do you think we'll notice the difference on that, or will it kind of be a lot of really not that big a deal? Yeah, I think we're not going to notice a difference on that because they play the Pirates less, but they, you know, they play the Tigers more, right? They, it, it all, mm-hmm. it all, I think is going to roughly come out in the wash. Like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's, there's one series less against the Cubs this year, but they're playing the A's this year, and they otherwise wouldn't have, right? So I, I think that there are there are enough bad teams distributed throughout baseball, and especially in the central divisions, that for the Cardinals, it will. It, I I don't know that it's going to make a huge difference. The Cardinals are playing in England this year. Are you getting to go? I that's the plan. Yeah, I'm. Awesome. I am mo- moving in that direction. There has already been a little bit of travel shopping being done. <laughs> well, good. That should be. I mean, what do you? What are your thoughts about just in general baseball being played in the in the various locales? Um, I think to do it in in the UK is very silly. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But whatever. Like it'll be a fun trip. I think if they wanted to play games. Uh, in San Juan or Santo Domingo, that would make a hell of a lot of sense more to me than, than taking it to the UK. But, you know, sure, I've never been, so I'm happy to go. <laughs> That's, that is good. I, I, hopefully it's a fun and exciting trip and uh, the jet lag won't be too bad for you. So It's, you know, um, believe it or not, I, I have discovered in, in plotting this out that it's mostly same-day travel. Like, even with a wow. layover, it's you don't, like, lose a full day. Uh, so it, it shouldn't, it, it should be pretty tolerable. I, I assume you are also doing your Jupiter shopping as well. Are you heading down there when? Yeah, I'll be there. Um, I think the date is the 11th. I get there. Cause I think I believe pitchers and catchers report on the 12th. So I'll be there the day before they report. Is there anything in particular that's off, maybe a little bit off the beaten track that you're kind of looking for, maybe especially early in spring? Oh, that's a good question. Who am I? Um, well, part of it is just going to be like who shows up healthy and, and ready to pitch. Um, I do, to me, I the preponderance of right-handed arms that are not quite good enough for the rotation, but not quite having a role in the bullpen, that's going to be a thing I'm going to watch early. Like what, where do, where do Hudson and Woodford and Verhagen and Chris Stratton and Zuniga and, and Rodriguez, like how do all these guys fit into a pitching staff with a maximum of 13 bodies on it. That to me is a really interesting question. I also want to know how well uh, Dakota Hudson and Giovanni Gallegos are going to handle the pitch clock. Um, I think, I think, I think Hudson is going to be okay. I think when he went down to triple a, he kind of kicked it into gear. Uh, it was a lot better. Gio, uh, we'll see. 
<laughs> should be something interesting, but there'll be plenty of it. Jeff, I appreciate you joining me again. Uh, I would just not be the same without you and uh, look forward to re reading your reports from Jupiter. Um, I'm excited to give them. I'm always thrilled to do this. It's a nice way for me to remind myself that I do in fact have to go back and actually do some work soon. So we'll be, uh, we'll be at winter warm up next weekend. Uh, you know, come say hi though. I, I think, I think with the setup this year, uh, we are primarily locked in the media room at Bush Stadium and not like in Ballpark Village. So Lord knows how much of the warm-up we see. Uh, I'll actually see this year, but we have the uh, we have the writers dinner on Sunday night, which is not quite sold out, but it's awfully close. And then February third at Center of Clayton, there is going to be uh, baseball writers trivia. Tickets are in fact on sale for that now. It's two hundred dollars for a table of ten. Uh, or it's 25 bucks a person, minimum of two, if you just want to bring one person with you or have a smaller group. So please come out and join us. It all goes to our charitable foundation to fund scholarships for future generations of writers for you all to to yell at or to have as guests on your podcast, I guess. <laughs> That's right. I know the when they did the virtual trivia, that was a lot of fun. So I'm sure that it was. people are in that area to be able to go live, that will be a blast as well. So... All right. Well, um, next, we will not be doing a show next Friday because our next guest is Brendan Schaefer, who has to mess everything up. Uh, so it'll be a week from Tuesday before we get Schaefer on here. But uh, we're looking forward to us then. But for Jeff, I'm Daniel. Good night. Oh, on the pool. In the air, left field, and Pools is given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three run home run. Stunned in disbelief here in Houston.